This is the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast, the podcast that brings together leaders in healthcare and investment real estate to consider the possibilities in future at the intersection of practicing medicine and healthcare real estate investment returns. Welcome to the Providers, Properties, and Performance Podcast. I am your host, Trisha Talbot. As a healthcare real estate advisor to providers and investors, the best solutions occur when the two collaborate together as partners in delivering better patient care. Providers can deliver care to their patients when and where they need it, and investors realize the returns to build and manage facilities. We explore changes in medicine and wellness, the future of healthcare, and using real estate as a strategic and financial tool. Welcome to today's episode of the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. This week's episode is my interview on the Grow Money Business podcast with host Grant Bledsoe. Grant is a certified financial planner helping business owners with wealth building strategies. Many of his clients are physicians, and we discuss the economic benefits of physicians owning the real estate where they operate their practice. Welcome to Grow Money Business, the podcast dedicated to helping business owners grow both their wealth and business on their own terms. Here's your host, Grant Bledsoe. Hello, everybody. Grant Bledsoe here. Welcome back to Grow Money Business. This week on the podcast, my guest is Trisha Talbot. Trisha is the managing principal of Doc Properties, which is a commercial real estate firm helping physicians buy, sell, operate, deal with the buildings that their practices operate in. Trisha and I had a great conversation. As you can probably tell, I am dealing with a little bit of a head cold and am a little bit congested. Apologies for that. Nonetheless, we had a great conversation. As I've talked about a little bit on the podcast in the past, in prior episodes, this concept of owning the building in which your business operates can be a huge wealth building tool. And that's precisely what Trisha helps physicians do. We talk about the details, the pitfalls, a lot of the nuances of what it looks like to buy or even build the building that your business operates in. She is a wonderful resource for physicians specifically, but we had a great chat about this, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey, everybody. Real quick before we jump into today's episode, I have been advised by my attorneys to remind you all that none of what you might hear in today or any other episode of Grow Money Business is financial, investing, tax, legal, fitness, or even relationship advice. It's content that you're free to use and deploy on your own terms. And before you take any actions on what we might cover in the show, I really encourage you to consult with your accountant, attorney, or financial planner. If you don't have a financial planner and think that you might need one, Be sure to check out threeoakswealth.com to learn more about my firm's planning, advice, and investment services. Tricia, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for having me. I am really excited to talk to you today because as a financial planner, we work with a lot of business owners in in my financial planning practice. And one topic that I've talked a lot with, uh, about with, uh, with clients, and we talked a little bit about on the podcast, is this concept of owning the building in which your business operates. It's a huge wealth building opportunity for a lot of people. There are tax benefits, there are other benefits, um, and this is something that you specialize in for healthcare people. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your business and what you do every day. Sure. My name is Trisha Talbot, and I 
am the managing principal at Doc Properties, and I, I handle uh, commercial real estate for healthcare properties. I've been doing this for about 20 years, started on the leasing side, um, and then moved over into the sales side. So I've, I've worked with a lot of physicians in different age stages and of their career. And, um, you know, for those that are typically earlier in their career, or maybe they're just, um, you know, they've, they've been a single practice practitioner site, they've, they've kind of geared more towards leasing, but then when they've wanted to grow, you either expand into multiple sites. Um, if their tenant improvements, they, you know, when they first leased space, they, went ahead and paid for the tenant improvements, you know, whatever the landlord wouldn't contribute, signed a lease. And then at the end, you know, they, they've put a ton of money um, into to space that they don't own and they can't take the tenant improvements with them. I mean, they can take some equipment, but as some require some pretty um, complex build out, you know, if they do um, any sort of procedures, they, they have to, you know, put a lot of money into the spaces. So then they try to, um, you know, they, I don't know if you remember the office condo um, that was pretty popular here in Arizona where a developer would buy some land and then build office condos um, about, you know, they would do about 10,000 square foot buildings and then either divide them in quarters or in halves. And that sort of solved some of the issue where if they were a smaller practice or a single practice, they could still own um, and build out their space. And at the end of the day, you know, they're, they are building equity. The issue with those is sometimes practices grow, sometimes they shrink. Um, it's hard to expand adjacent to you when you don't know the owner or the owner you know, could be a completely separate business. Um, and that, so there were some, I think, complexities there. Um, and now I'm seeing where some entrepreneurial physicians, you know, that just with the way healthcare is going, they're looking at, you know, how can I, how can I leverage, I would say time and money, um, into something that's not, that is easy for me to understand something that, um, you know, I don't need to have a part-time job or, you know, a second degree to, to really understand and then, you know, have some other income other than just what I'm doing from eight to five, you know, you know physicians typically do, um, earn their, their, their high earners and therefore, you know, they're, they are looking to figure out how to invest in themselves. And so, you know, then they go out and want to purchase a property then, you know, invest the kind of improvements that they can keep, you know, um, in 10 years, five years, seven years, whatever their lease term is, they don't have to build it all out again. And um, they just have to maybe upgrade some things as they own the property. Sometimes they, they've even purchased a bigger property than they need and have some income in addition to, um, you know, the space that they use. So, I think that it offers a lot of options for them. Um, at the end of their practice, they can keep the building and lease it out. Um, sometimes they'll sell their practice um, to another physician and could stay there and pay them rent. Um, you know, I, I just think that there's a lot of opportunities. Awesome. So somebody, so so the physician is running their practice. They're interested in purchasing the building in which their practice operates. They come and see you. 
one mm-hmm. of the first things that we're looking at is, hey, you've put all this money into the tenant improvements in your existing location. Let's figure out how to transfer those into this new place that you might purchase. Did I summarize that fairly? Well, it's hard to transfer tenant improvements. You can't like bring the walls with you, but you know the equipment that they, you know, some some furniture fixtures and equipment um, they can, but they can't typically take cabinets and walls with them. Obviously, so right. they they are starting from scratch. What I'm saying is they've they've understood that you know had they purchased a property rather than lease it the last time, they wouldn't have to. They wouldn't have to build. They don't want to go and lease another space where they they pay to build it out and they don't own the tenant improvements and they can't take them with them next time. So then they they buy a building, put in the tenant improvements, and you know they can keep them more or less. So so what you're saying is that there's there can be a lot of cost, right? You you pay for all this stuff in an existing lease, but you want to buy a new building. Obviously, we can't take the walls with us, but how do we make this jump to the new location with minimum um, unnecessary out-of-pocket spending? Um, I don't know if that's what I'm saying, but um, so if they lease a space, they have to... So when you lease a space, your out-of-pocket costs are... Um, typically, there's some construction costs, there's architectural fees, and then there's the FF&E. You're going to have that same cost. I mean, you'll probably be able to bring some equipment over, but you're going to have those same costs um, in a new space that you own. But at the end of five or seven or 10 years, you don't have to move and let you, you don't have to move and you own those tenant improvements. There's also some de- depreciation that you'll be able to um, realize that you can't when you lease a space. And um, so there's a lot of benefits long term to own own rather than lease. So where do you where do you start? You're you're thinking about making this jump. What's what what are the first few things you got to look at? Well, I, I think for for practices, the first thing is um, patient base. What patient base are you trying to attract? Um, what insurance do you accept? Are you um, do you are you workers comp based um, on insurance or private insurance? Do you take any sort of Medicare or or Medicaid? You know what what is your patient base? Um, and usually practices know um, they they if the, if they're already leasing someplace and the practice is thriving, they're not going to want to move very far from where that location is um, unless they're looking to dramatically change their patient base. But today, I, I think being conveniently located near your patients when you're an outpatient practice is what I am hearing a lot of physicians aiming to do, which is why they open up multiple sites because, you know, there's a certain drive time that becomes uncomfortable for patients. Um, So they'll open up another site to capture a patient base once the drive becomes too long. So, so I think for, for healthcare practices, it really starts with what patients you're wanting to attract. Sure. A lot of, uh, a lot of businesses and in other industries will seek to buy buildings that their business will occupy only about 51% of. And I'm fighting a head cold today, so I sound a little bit stuffed up. <laughs> but uh, the reason for that is you get all this great SBA-backed financing when your business uh, is occupying at least half of the building. 
And it allows the business owner to lever up a little bit more by a larger space, lease out the other portion to other businesses, um, and then use that as, as kind of a wealth building tool. Are you seeing that with physician practices as well? What, what kind of um, buildings are, are, are coming across your desk these days? Sometimes. So um, it, a lot depends on the supply of real estate. So if they are building from scratch and there's just a, they're, they know what size of space that they need, say they, say they, um, they only, you know, they're, like you said, you know, they'll occupy maybe 12,000 square feet of a, but the site that they, the land that they find, you know, it can, it can, um, it can be built up to 20,000 square feet. You know, being a real estate person, obviously I'm like, well, that's a no brainer. You know, you build 20,000 square foot building, you occupy 12,000, you hire a, a leasing broker to fill the rest, you underwrite it to where, you know, you, you know, the market terms of the landlord is what you would have to supply for tenant improvements. You get the SBA loan with the money, you know, reserves to pay for the construction of, you know, and offer tenant improvements. And brokerage fees and all, all of the other costs, architectural fees that you'll, you'll need to incur as a landlord. And, and I recommend doing that. Also, you know, for physicians, you can, um, you can lease it out to a complementary tenant where, you know, there's some sort of referral pattern. Um, so that, you know, is always good. Or, you know, say, I don't know, you're... Um, a cardiologist, but you want to have an internal medicine as an example, you know, next to you that, you know, you guys refer business to, to make it convenient and, and easy for your patients. So for me, I think that that, you know, it, is exciting. Some practices don't want more building. I think, um, I, I think, um, Part of it comes with, well, who's going to manage it? I don't necessarily want to be a landlord. My office manager can handle, you know, just our space, but then I have to, you know, worry about collecting rent. And with that, you know, I, I strongly encourage, especially, you know, these physicians that are, are practicing, you know, they're, they're, <laughs> they're already working, you know, 16 hour days out of, you know, eight hours sometimes. Um, but you know, are there in procedures all day, you know, that that's when you hire a property manager, it, it is well worth their weight in gold. Um, you know, you budget for the expense, but, you know, they, they can meet vendors. I mean, I even would recommend this for their, for their own space and not necessarily burden their, their office manager, which I'm sure is already burdened with managing the office and, uh, every, you know, appointment scheduling and, um, billing, I mean, all of that stuff. So, I actually recommend even if they're going to own commercial real estate to hire a professional property management company that can manage vendors if something breaks, that can collect rent, um, do property accounting and all of those services. So I, uh, I, it depends again on the supply. So, you know, if there's a, if there's a lot of options, if there's buildings that are exact size or buildings that are a little bit bigger, um, if they have to build, you know, all of those factors start the decision process of what is the supply in the location they want to be. And then you sort of narrow down your options. And that's for that's for any kind of setup, even if your business is o occupying 100 percent of the building, 
you're saying property manager still makes a lot of sense. I think it makes a lot of sense unless, um, you know, you have an office manager that has a former property management background and can handle it. No problem. It just, you know, I think the learning curve is, is challenging. Um, and there's people that do this as their, as their professional job, they have relationships with vendors that can, you know, save you money rather than you just, you know, getting Googling, you know, people to help you. There's also um, <clears throat> in certain markets, there are service providers that specifically have um, specifically work on medical office buildings. So the hazardous waste isn't an issue. Um, they understand that the janitorial has to be incredibly um, exceptional because you can't have dirty medical spaces. Um, and they just, they, they understand what a, a medical property needs and are able to provide that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that, that's a good point. Another thing I wanted to ask you about, Tricia, was <clears throat> asset prices across the, I'm, I'm a financial, I'm an investments guy, right? So <laughs> we, we, we look at, well, is the stock market expensive or cheap? Somebody comes in with an investment idea, you know, is this undervalued or overvalued? Mm-hmm. And when I look at the landscape of, of stuff that ordinary people might invest in, invest in, it's all very, very expensive right now. Everything is very, very expensive right now. Real estate, the price of my house has been up, you know, 20% or so in the, in the last year. And I don't know that that's, not a bubble to be to be honest <laughs> what is your take on commercial property asset prices particularly where you live and you're in Arizona right I'm Scottsdale in Arizona, yeah well nation- so how do you think about this as an investment kind of well, thing well i think any when you're looking at i mean even i mean a house is a, is a long term investment but i think a house you know you could look at 5 years but commercial real estate you really need to look at i think at a 10 year minimum time horizon um if you're going to be an owner user, because there are some upfront costs that just take time to recoup. Um, And across the board, medical office assets are, it it is, the prices are really high right now. The cap rates are, are incredibly compressed. There's a lot of money chasing them because they're looking, they, you know, a lot of the the, mar- the hype behind them, the marketing of um, that they are recession resilient. And so, you know, people are also concerned, I think, you know, with the Amazon effect that the retail asset class went through um, and are, are, you know, pivoting from. And then now with regard to the pandemic, you know, the office sector is going to have to, I think, pivot as well. So then they say, well, what at what property asset classes um, are strong. And right now I, I hear it. And I mean, industrial is incredibly strong. Um, data warehouses are strong. Um, and multifamily is, in, in, you know, is insane. Um, and then there's medical office. Well, why? Because medical office typically has long-term leases. You don't, you, it's not, um, three years, it's usually a minimum of five years. There's just too much, um, like I said, the tenant improvements, they have to amortize over a term of a lease and it's not economically sensible to do that on a short-term lease for anybody. So leases typically start at five years, more um, if they're shell spaces, it's 
seven or 10 years. And even if a physician owns a building, you know, as you know, you, you put a lease on it um, and the lease, you have to be able to um, justify market rent. So you can't, you know, just, you can't say, well, I'm going to pay whatever I want for a building and then back into the rental rate. You really have to, you know, understand what the rental rate is. And when you purchase the building and build it out, you still need to stay to where if you had to leave the property and lease it out to somebody else, you could still make your mortgage payment to your lender and then, and all, and cover all the operating costs. Um, Right now, a lot of the increase is due to material and labor shortages. So um, demand is high and supply is low. So prices go up. Um, That is driving a ton. And then just in popular places, you know, land prices are, are increasing as well. So all of those increase costs and then therefore they have to be underwritten uh, with a certain ability to be able to recoup those costs. So the real estate fundamentals still have to um, be true, even, you know, when you're investing in property, but the costs, the, the costs are high. The demand is high in medical office. Uh, there's a lot of money chasing it and that's just, you know, causing the prices to go up. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you said a couple of things I want to dive into a little, in a little bit more detail. One of them is, and, and this is really fundamental. Anytime you're talking about commercial real estate investing, this is not a short-term play. This is a long-term kind of thing. I like the time horizon that you mentioned at the beginning of, you know, you probably need to be looking at this in terms of 10 years, a 10-year mm-hmm. window or longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, anything inside of that is just super dangerous, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're thinking about getting into this and then maybe growing your practice or your business and then selling it and flipping it for something else. That's a pretty dangerous proposition. This needs to be a longer term play, which coincidentally um, is another reason I like the idea of occupying 51% of the building, leasing out the other 49%, maybe on shorter term leases, leases if you can set it up that way, and then growing into the space over time just to give yourself a little bit more Uh, of a runway without having to sell the business or opening up a second location. Mm -hmm. The other thing is this concept of uh, the lease terms being an arm's length transaction. So can you tell us a little bit more about that? You you, you cannot give yourself, if you, the individual owns the building and the business is leasing space from the building and you as the owner of that building, you, you can't just write whatever you want down on the lease. What, what parameters do we need to keep in mind when, um, when, when filling out lease terms? Um, right. And so the, it has to meet market conditions. So you have to typically, you know, you, you can hire an appraiser, but I would also recommend um, that you get a broker opinion of value um, because the brokers are the ones that are, are doing the deals all day long. And so they know where things are <clears throat> actually striking and, and the other terms. <clears throat> and you, when a lender, so there's two, there's two things. One, you have to take, you have to get a lender to give you money. And so in order to do that, the lender wants to understand, again, just like I said, you know, if you were to have to vacate the property and lease it out, you have to they're not going to they're not going to give you more money than what you can lease it out for in the regular market um because 
you know, they just, they're conservative and they're not going to just write you a blank check. So it has to be based on, on some underwriting fundamentals. And so they'll look at, you know, what is the business paying you for a lease? And it has to be based on current market conditions, um, how much money you're asking them for the build out improvement dollars, which also you could ask for coverage of architectural fees, which are the soft costs or hard costs or soft costs. Hard costs is the, the actual um, cost of constructing it, labor and materials, and then the soft costs, architectural fees and legal fees and, and things like that that you need. So, you know, you put all of these costs, you go to a lender, like you said, and give you, especially FBA, they want to have a budget and they want to have, they want to have everything documented. Um, they're, they feel that you're saying, hey, I'm going to buy the building and have my business pay an above market lease rate so I can try to go to the bank and get more money. They will see through it because they will have their team underwrite it based on market conditions. So that's one thing. And then if you go to sell it, say you say you have, so, so sale leasebacks are pretty popular too. Sometimes... Um, <clears throat> Sometimes um, a physician, you know, will get purchased by a hospital or maybe another group and they take over the lease. Well, then if the physician owns the building and it's being leased to a hospital, they can then sell that to an investor. So the lease, you know, the hospital is not going to take an, just an above market lease. They're going to look at your lease rates and they're going to, if they take over the lease, they're going to want them, they'll either make you write them down to market conditions if it's not, or, um, you know, they'll require a new lease. And then when you sell it, the investors, they, they are going to also look at your lease and um, analyze the lease rate. Because if it's not market conditions, then they will write it down to market conditions and then cap the income off of that, which if you've inflated the rate, you're going to just have to accept a, a lesser, a lot lesser price. And they'll probably sign, make you sign a new lease based on market conditions. So everything needs to be still based on the current market real estate fundamentals, just to keep yourself in line with all the other financial markets. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the reasons that we might want to have a lease agreement with your business that are substantially different than what the market is telling you the lease rates ought to be are really short term in nature. <laughs> and there, it, it is so much easier and so much cleaner just to get a second opinion, a broker, appraiser, or a, maybe a combination, I don't know, yeah. of people in, in there to tell you what the market rates are and then have that be the rate. Because mm -hmm. if, you, if you play games with this, you have to unwind it later and it gets, it, it's, it's a huge nuisance. I've, yeah. I've, seen it numerous times yeah <laughs> and it typically hurts because you you know you've you've inflated yourself you get used to having that inflation and then you have to come back to reality and I, I think in my opinion it's that's a rougher way to go rather just than start you know start the right way and and build it up from there <laughs> yeah yeah so one concept I wanted to run by and get your thoughts on is, it, it, you mentioned that uh, the supply and dyna demand dynamics um, across the country, specifically in, in Arizona, where, where you're doing a lot of operations, 
there's just a lot more demand for this kind of space than there is supply right now. And so one thing that comes to mind is, well, why don't you go get a construction loan and build your own building? And we've had a couple of clients go that route in the, in the past. Granted, you have your own supply chain concerns there of getting the materials that it takes to, to, to build a new building. What what is that process like? Can, can you make an argument for for going that route or not going that route, perhaps? Well, that would be a great route to go if there was small parcels available for sale everywhere. But the again with the supply, um, sometimes, for example, um, you know, if they only want a twenty thousand square foot building, but then you know someone only wants to sell a a parcel off and it's three acres. So you kind of, you're, you have more land than you need or know what to do with. Um, so you either maybe I'm actually talking, I'm dealing with this with a client in Houston. So, you know, my first, you know, the first thing is, you know, to, to split a parcel costs, um, you have to, well, you have to go into a municipality, you have to spend money, on um, splitting the parcel and then because you have to and then go through um, the municipality for it as well. That takes time and it takes a surveyor to go out and do that. And then they have to, you know, they have to redefine the the um, parcel um, depending on how utilities are run, you have to, you know, go through all of those, um, easements and stuff like that. So sometimes it, sometimes it's easy, it's clean, and sometimes it's really messy and it just depends. So, so that's a process. Um, if you, you know, sometimes you have to buy more land than you need. And then if it's all one parcel, then you have to subdivide it. Um, and that's just, a. um, Sometimes people don't want to go through that and sometimes they do. It just, it just depends if you can buy it and then, and you don't mind subdividing it and then selling off the smaller pieces. But then, you know, like anything with real estate, (laughs) it's like, then somebody wants more than, you know, what you have available and they want a bigger piece when you're trying to sell it. Um, So, you know, in that scenario, it would probably make more sense to try to build a bigger building, maybe joint venture with a developer. Um, there's developers, um, you know, then then you become more, you know, there's an active way of, there's there's very, there's so many partnerships that you can have in a joint venture in, um, in healthcare. There's just, a, there's a lot of developers and, um, investors in the asset class that specifically focus on it. So in that case, I would recommend perhaps going the joint venture route. Then you get a developer to buy the bigger piece. They build either one or two buildings. You're a partner in the real estate, but the joint venture person typically, depending on how it's structured, you can either share risk or they take all the risk and you become um, a passive investor and that's another route for people to go then because they get kind of the best of both worlds where they the practice gets ownership, but less risk and less responsibility. Um, but again, it goes back to can you find the parcel a uh, uh, parcel land that is the exact size that you need for the building size that you're looking to build? And it's like the Goldilocks. You just you go out there and you have to look because sometimes they're too big, sometimes they're too small. And sometimes they're just right. Then you just have to go out and, and start the process. And this is why I tell, um, I've said this 
before on other interviews, you know, if you are looking to own your own building, you are doing yourself a huge disservice if you wait until the last 30 days of your lease, six months of your lease. You need to be looking three years before your lease is expired. You need a lot of runway. You need to be able to, um, the worst the worst way to invest in real estate is when you feel like you're under pressure and have no other choices. You need to be able to go out and negotiate with a couple of different people, see who will give you the best um, opportunity. And then you also need to feel that if it's not a good situation, that you can just walk away and say, you know, this isn't a good fit. I need to go, but I have more, I have enough time to go find another option. So that's, you know, you need to leave yourself some room for that as well. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. And and you see this when people are trying to uh execute 1031 exchanges or something mm-hmm. like that where they've, you know, they they're close to close on a sale and then you the, the once the close happens, the cash goes to this what's called a qualified intermediary and then I think you have 45 days mm-hmm. to um express I interest in yeah. the next one, right? And I mean mm-hmm. that's that's a pretty tight window if you haven't done enough forethought. Um, well, not only that, when you're on the when you're when you're selling a property and somebody comes, like if you're selling a, I would say a, a property that is um, attractive, um, you know, and you get ten thirty one people looking at it, you know, they can identify up to three. So when they come to you, uh, you know, so 1031s have some trickiness to them, depending on which side you're on. But uh, but yeah, when they come to you and you're and they're like, well, you know, we have 45 days to identify and this is one of three, you know, they could always back out on on the deal as well. So so 1031s are tricky all the way around. <laughs> that's that's a good point. That's a good point. <laughs> okay, so three years before you really want to close. For what you, do those three years look like? Before you want to occupy. Like before, before you, you want, want to occupy. Okay. But before your lease is up. Yeah. So I would say when you're le- when you're getting into th- with three years left on your lease, if you are wanting to own a property, you need to engage um, and start looking to find out what's out there. What are your options? Analyze the costs of all of them and not feel like you have to make a poor real estate decision in order to meet a desired timeline. Sure. Sure. Okay. Now, what kind of what kind of down payment are lenders offering these days? What what is the spectrum you're running into? Well, conventional financing, you know, depending again on on a lot of factors, but um, you know, I think twenty five percent on the low end, and then they go up from there. Um, and that's if you have spectacular credit. But SBA lending is why you know it's, it's an attractive, um, it's attractive for physicians because they are small business owners, um, for the most part. And, um, you know, you'll probably know more than I, what the current rates are, but I think they are 90, 10. And then during the summer they were having like no money down and they were waiving all these fees and, and I, and things like that. But, um, but the SBA is an attractive, an attractive product. Yeah, and that's why I keep going back to this fifty-one percent threshold. It, in in an owner-occupied building, and it's you know at least half of the square footage. I think is how they define it. Uh, they'll lend you up to ninety percent of the purchase price, mm-hmm. and that's that's pretty doggone good. And so, mm-hmm. depending on the space you're looking at, probably a couple hundred thousand dollar investment. But then, from that point on, you lease the rest of the space out. Your practice, your business grows. 
Um, you can, it, it opens the door for 1031 exchanges into larger properties in the future to defer the, the gains and so forth. And that's just on capital gains deferral too. There are a lot of other tax advantages in the meantime of owning these things. Um, do you want to dive into that a little bit, Trish? Well, depreciation is- I said it, Trish. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Trisha. Do you that's prefer okay. Trish or Trisha? Either one. It's not, it's not that different. Um, well, depreciation is a, is a huge one. Um, obviously, um, you know, you can uh, also deduct taxes and in, um, interest, uh, property taxes and interest. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of advantages. And I, I try to stay in my lane and out of the accountants because um, they will, they sometimes have different opinions or I, you know, I'm not describing it in enough detail for them. So, um, it's okay. But- We've got a disclosure at the beginning of this podcast. <laughs> None of this is tax advice. We talk taxes all the time. It's Perfect. not tax advice. Okay. All right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, you know, there's also, you know, with regard to this lease, um, you know, it's a way for them to have income that is not taxed at or ordinary income rates. So, um, you know, they get the income from the, the rental income and it usually goes through um, an LLC. So um, so there's there's benefits there as well to, you know, take some of your operating income that you receive and not have it go through as W-2. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I think of this back into the... Um setting the distinction of two separate ent- entities. <clears throat> and as you mentioned, you probably don't want your business to own the building. You probably want to own it through another entity. Mm-hmm. It should have some kind of asset protection feature. And so most owners that, that go this route will prefer to do that through an LLC. But the building sits in an LLC. That entity owns the building uh, that's the entity that owes the mortgage. That's the entity that collects rent. It's also the entity that gets to depreciate the building and write off property taxes and all this other nice, right. nice stuff, mortgage mm-hmm. interest and everything. Mm-hmm. So you have all these nice tax deductions. Then, then you have rental income coming into it that offsets a lot of that uh, income for tax purposes. Mm-hmm. And so a large portion, if not all, of the income you have coming in through rents is tax-free because of those nifty tax deductions. Now, the other entity is the pre-existing business. The business is going to have to rent space from somebody Somebody. anyway, right? (laughs) And so you may as well have that be yourself and set it up in a way that that enables a fair amount of that rent to go to yourself to pay down the mortgage, build equity, and anything left on top comes in, maybe some of it tax-free because of those uh, offsetting deductions. It's a pretty efficient and nifty way to set it all up. And if you think of it from the standpoint, like we were talking about a minute ago, of yeah. once your equity grows beyond a certain point, if you're doing this from a real estate investing perspective, you can swap into other larger properties. Again, mm-hmm. don't go into this thinking you're going to do that inside of 10 years. But if you're holding it long-term, you can lever up again and swap into a larger property and based on the current tax code, we're currently enabled to, to kick the um, capital gains taxes down the road through a 1031. Mm-hmm. So there, there's, there's just a number of ways this is beneficial. I think the hurdle for most people is that it does require a down payment, a cash outlay, 
and it's uh, it's work, right? Even if you hire a property manager, you've you, it, it, it takes a lot of effort setting all this stuff up, and there is a degree of risk, um, uh, being that you can't call the landlord anytime anything breaks or doesn't suit your needs as a as a tenant. Right. And, you know, there's very good landlords out there. So it, it, again, I think it comes back to, especially this is specific to healthcare properties. You know, you, the practice really needs to look at their first, the supply and demand of buildings in the market, um, available land. Um, there's buildings that they can purchase and you could do an adaptive reuse through some rezoning. Uh, you know, there's there's so many decision making factors in there as to, to what makes the most sense. Obviously, if you can own it and you're a practice, it, it financially, um, you know, you financially for you as an individual, it it, it offers a lot more opportunity. Um, and there there are landlords, you know, with physicians, you know, they know that physicians. Um, you know, they add the tenant is the value in a medical office building. And and there's a lot of um, landlords out there. They do physician ownership in a variety of different ways. But, be, you know, if you sign a, this is pretty popular, especially in brand new buildings. Um, but some, you know, are in any building, but a lot in brand new buildings where they say sign a long-term lease, you'll get this amount of ownership some allow them to buy into ownership if they want to to get more. You know, it, it really just depends. But again, they can still have some ben- ownership benefits, not as much as owning the building themselves with the tax stuff. But, um, you know, there is a way for physicians to get ownership. There's a way for physicians to get value for their tenancy commitment in a building. And if, like I said, if there's a development opportunity with land, there are a lot of developers that are that are very interested in partnering with physicians and they would do a development um, and give them ownership and, and things like that. So, you know, in that sense, you know, there's ways for them to, there are ways for them to own property with mitigating some risk and capital outlay if, you know, if it's available in their market. And those are opportunities to consider if for instance, there's not land available in, in really dense markets where it's it's hard to do. You know, I'm coming from a the Southwest where, you know, Nevada, Arizona, Texas, you know, there's just there's there's land available. And, um, you know, like in California, there's not <laughs> in some places, you know, in the cities. So it just it it depends on your market. What's again, what's available and then sort of going down the decision making process from there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. There are more avenues for joint venture in this sphere than there have ever been before. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and very what, what, experienced people in doing it. Yeah, so. yeah, and that's the other thing. You have a partner who knows what the heck they're doing. That's helpful. Mm-hmm. What, where they do you see people for you? <laughs> what was that? They've they've already made all the mistakes for you. That's right. Yeah, you can kind of <laughs> learn from their wisdom. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you see physicians and others getting into trouble these days, getting out over their skis and having to unwind things in a hurry? Um, if they're not familiar with the construction process, they don't then, and it's just because they don't know the, they don't know some of the questions to ask um, when they're, 
I mean, they would hire a general contractor, but, um, you know, really, so what the value you get with a, with joint venturing or, um, you know, just really having the time to interview a developer or a general contractor, um, is under getting really understanding the costs involved, having a contingency amount, um, because I would love for construction to be a straight line, but it never typically is. Um, also, you know, again, because of the labor shortage, you, you don't want to be stuck, um, you know, halfway through a project and not be able to finish it. Um, you know, and architects as well, you want to make sure that you work with an architect that, you know, hopefully has built a medical building before, has designed one that knows how it needs to be efficient, just in the way that it's constructed, um, what patients are looking for, you know, there's different uh, needs. Um, uh, You know, there doesn't need to necessarily be you know, medical buildings are functional in, in every way. And so, you know, it's nice to have like common areas that have a little splash. Um, but other than that, the spaces inside are, are very functional. I would say, depending on the, the tenants that are going to be in there, finishes need to be durable. It's, you know, you don't want to get and have to be replacing finishes every couple of years. Um, there's walkers, wheelchairs, those things to consider. Um, and a you know, medical buildings, people do get sick. So you want things that, you know, can be cleaned easily. So just things like that, that you wouldn't necessarily even think about, uh, unless you were, um, you know, kind of, you've done it before and made mistakes and doing it again. So. Sure. Sure. And that's on the new construction side. What about purchases of pre-existing buildings? Where do, where do you see physicians getting into trouble there? So if the building's vacant, um, again, knowing where the building is to where you want it to be and how expensive it's going to be to get there. So if you're um, <clears throat> you're a cardiology practice and you want to have, <clears throat> you want to, you know, obviously, I think have some diagnostic testing and echo, um, you know, they do the treadmills, you know, that you want to have some rooms with all of this, all this equipment in there you know, what will it take? Imaging is another good example. Um, You know, not every building can be an imaging building. There needs to be, um, you know, a certain amount of power to the building. And if it's not there, you know, sometimes you have to bring it in from the street, um, which is, you know, a huge cost and expense. Um, If you're going to have, if it's going to be a surgery center, you're going to have a procedure room, you need to be able to put a backup generator somewhere. Typically the OR has to have its own HVAC. So you have to have space for these things. Um, So those, those are just some of the things, you know, that unless you kind of know what you're doing, sometimes those mistakes could be expensive to correct. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what did we miss, Trisha? We've <laughs> talked a lot about the process, getting into this, what the things to think about, mistakes some people are the, you've seen make along the way. What else do you think is relevant for, for business owners out there considering a purchase of a building for their business uh, in medicine and otherwise uh, to reside in? Yeah, I think if you're going to go along this process um, and you already operate and are dependent on income from a, bu- a business that you are 
working in full time, you really do need to, um, I highly recommend that you hire real estate experts. And even if you are well-versed in real estate and feel that you could do some of it yourself, I think you have to ask yourself, how valuable is my time and do I want to do it? Because it could come anywhere from become a part-time job to a completely second job. And I think it just depends if you want to do that or if you want to hire people that, you know, can be working it on this during, you know, daytime hours and be communicating with you on what decisions you need to make in an efficient way. Um, and then you, you know, you maybe spend 30 minutes to an hour and, and do them. I mean, it's like, I guess this, an analogy is, um, you know, what you do, financial planning, can other people do it? Sure. But do they have the time to sit and really spend doing it? And do they want to do that with their time? I think that is a good analogy and widely applicable to a lot of fields. And from my perspective, I don't want to be doing the property management on a building <laughs> that I own, but that's just me. A lot of people want to do that. And that's, that's cool too. Yeah. Yeah. So that's how I would leave it. And, um, and obviously there's very specific questions to very specific situations that people may have and, um, you know, that we didn't cover, but those are, uh, you know, specific to different situations. So, so how do people get a hold of you? Tell us about what you know, what you do, what your website is for physicians out there looking for help in this area. Yeah, I'm. Uh, so my website is docproperties, doc properties d o c properties com has a lot of information on there. Um, I also have a podcast that is linked through there. If people want, there's some valuable information that people can get from from those interviews and. Um, my email is the best way to get a hold of me, uh, which is Talbot, T, T Talbot, uh, T T A L B O T at docproperties.com. So T Talbot at docproperties.com. Right on. Well, thank you, Tricia, for taking the time and enlightening us on some of these issues. Um, I, I think it was great, and um, I appreciate you being here. Thank you. Thank you, Grant. Thanks for tuning in to Grow Money Business, the podcast dedicated to helping business owners grow both their wealth and business on their own terms. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you digest podcasts to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes and announcements. And feel free to submit questions to growmoneybusiness.com. I'm grateful for you tuning in to the Providers, Properties, and Performance podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with others. As a disclaimer, this podcast is intended for educational and entertainment purposes only and not intended for specific real estate investment advice.